This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 95 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm joined by my friend and co-host Paul Kanawa. Paul, how are you? Kia ora Dan, I am really, really good. Uh, it's the last day of school for my kids today. Um, I've just come home and realised that they're here for the next six weeks. What a life as a kid, eh? Like, it's I know. so wasted. So wasted on the young. It is, because you just don't appreciate it at that age. Could you imagine if someone said to you, oh, Dan, just go and take six weeks off. Yeah, just knock yourself out and just... Do you remember as a kid how often you would say, I'm a bit bored? Or, oh. you know, like, like as a, I would never... Never again. I would never. Would you say that? Oh, I would love the opportunity to be bored because that would mean that I've watched everything I want to watch. I've read. My reading has really suffered. Um, I've I've played games. There's all sorts of things. I'll never be bored. I was just thinking about a Christmas song. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go, take a look at the five or ten. It's glistening once again with candy canes and silver lanes that glow. Fast forward a couple of verses into this song. This song is 1951, by the way, and it says, "Mom and Dad can hardly wait." For school to start again even back then 70 years ago already it's like i mean i love my kids but it's a prison sentence six weeks it's a different life though isn't it like when we were kids like often during the school holidays like there was no special kids tv shows or anything like you had to wait till three o'clock for the normal standard sort of afternoon cartoons there was no netflix there was no extensive games library whereas if you're a kid today you've got your playstation floor you've got your youtube you're just watching netflix it's the, the world is your oyster. I just got, I just got on the door. He's asking, my son, 12 year old son's asking me for the credit card. So he can, he says, oh, can I just, I just want to get Minecraft on the laptop. And I'm like, amazing. Just, he, he's just going to go and get Minecraft. It's uh, what a time to be a kid. <laughs> Listen to us. We're like those old guys from the Muppets just moaning about how <laughs> back in our day, how bloody hard we had it. Yeah. Although I think, They've lost a little bit more hair than we have for the moment anyway, Dan. Indeed. Well, Paul, as, a, as an age-old tradition on the pod, what have you been watching? All right. So this week I am up to Moonraker in my James Bond uh, movie rewatch, 1979. Uh, James Bond investigates the mid-air theft, mid-air theft of a space shuttle and discovers a plot to commit global genocide. This is interesting because you know how at the end of a Bond movie, it always says James Bond will return. In the modern day movies, it doesn't say what movie James Bond will return in. They haven't done that for a long time. But in the old old ones, all the way through to, I'm guessing, at least the end of Roger Moore's run, they would always say James Bond will return in Goldfinger, in Thunderbolt, whatever it is. And at the end of The Spy Who Loved Me, it said James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. However, um, when we went to get the next one, we were like, oh, it's Moonraker. So I did a bit of research. It turns out because of the success of Star Wars, they decided to move Moonraker up the up the uh, the order, just bump it up one, because they wanted to cash in on some of that sci-fi success that Star Wars had brought about because of this is obviously a, a space uh, movie. And they they did that brilliantly because up until GoldenEye, this was the highest grossing movie 
the highest grossing Bond movie. So it was a pretty smart move. Well, that's like, what are we talking in, in highest grossing? Have you got those numbers there in front of you? I didn't take a note of the numbers. I just was reading it on Wikipedia on the train and was like, oh, I might talk about that on the well, pod. And now you've- I feel like uh, these movies, I'm just so unfamiliar with them. Like I know all of the titles, like Moonraker is such a, you know, 007, James Bond, Moonraker, it goes it goes together so nicely, but I just, I couldn't tell you a single thing about this movie. And even flicking through the images, it's just not fresh in my mind. So did you enjoy this one? I really did. Yeah. This is a lot of fun, this one. And this is one I was very familiar with as a kid watching it in the eighties. And of course the special effects back then felt a whole lot better than they are now watching them. It's, it's, uh, it's certainly not a new hope standard. It's not even the motion picture, uh, quality, uh, in terms of those special effects, but in terms of the story, it is a lot of fun. So this is the one where Bond gets put into the the, the gravity thing that swings around and round and round, and, and you know that gets pushed too fast, obviously into space. There's a lot about this movie that comes back to you when you do watch it. So I wouldn't be surprised if you were to watch it that it, it did start to come back. Jerry Anderson from Thunderbirds helped write the screenplay for this one. Uh, Shirley Bassey has her final Bond theme song. Um, it's it's interesting because the fun factor is that it's a movie where the fun actually becomes almost the main genre, if you like. And I think out of context, like not in the middle of a James Bond rewatch like I am, you might not notice it as much, but watching them every week, it's so tangible. It's such a shift towards the humor and uh, and there's you know there's perhaps one too many raised eyebrows from Roger Moore, um, and some of the puns are, are pretty horrific. But um, uh, yeah, they, they they really have. I think I've talked about this coming for a while. I think this is the movie where it really changes. They've really dialed that humour up. There's a there's a pigeon doing a double take at one of the scenes. I mean, it's just it's it's insane. It's um it's definitely got that. And like looking through the stills, like you know, the costumes are really fun. The the yellow space suits. Yeah, it does. It is quite alarming seeing uh, Roger Moore with a a space suit on and pointing his you know classic James Bond pose with the pistol. I just feel like bullets in space suits are not a great combination. Yes, also in submarines, as Sean Connery told us in uh, mm. Red October. But um, yeah, it's I'm I'm curious now to see if this this level of humor is continued. For for the last his, his final three movies i have a feeling it might be but we'll see but the thing is i don't really mind watching it like this because it's fun it's part of the the lore l-o-r-e it's part of the it's it's how i it's how i remember it growing up and so my review for this remains a positive one it's it's watching it as a family it's just great and of course jaws is back again and he even has a love story in this movie and then by the end he's 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 turned his back on the bad guy and he's on Bond's side for like the last fifteen minutes or so. So it's uh, it's a pretty pretty interesting ride for him too. Love is love, Paul. It is indeed. Um, the other couple of people I was going to mention the villain that George turns on, Drax. I really like Michael Lonsdale uh, as the villain. He he has an awesome voice. I'd put him right out there with Goldfinger and and Scaramanger as probably the best villains so far. I always like Michael Lonsdale in in Ronin opposite Robert De Niro. Um, it's yeah, and, and the other person I was going to mention is is Q. He has he's got as he's sort of gone through the movies, he's getting more and more confident with who his character is, and I know he goes on for a much longer period, but I feel like he's coming into his prime as well. His role in M and and Money Penny is 
slightly diminished. There's less screen time for them. But um, look, give or take the pigeon and maybe some of the corny one-liners. I thought this was a really good rewatch. And it's interesting because this is probably the lowest rated across multiple platforms for, for Bond movies. So according to the fans out there, this is one of the worst. Wow. And what's on the horizon for next week? What's after Moonraker? Yeah, so I did read ahead and they are now going to For Your Eyes Only, which was what it should have been after Spy Love Me, if not for Star Wars. So This yeah. is some, some Fast and the Furious level shifting around of movies, isn't it? Like Tokyo Drift is the third one, but it's really like the sixth one. It's all just, you know, it's chaos. Only you could make that link, I swear. Um, now, La Casa de Papel. Beautiful. been practicing that money heist uh season five that's the other thing i've watched this week um the final season uh part two this is um and i, I look i'll be spoiler free because i know this is a recently dropped show and i know you're a few seasons into it but this is a fantastic finish honestly this this final season is a real contender for our um our top 10 tv shows podcast we'll be doing in a couple of weeks because it's it's it really delivers uh, a strong story it's probably right up there for me with the first two seasons I, f- I kind of felt like seasons three and four maybe they just lost some of their edge or their sharpness or it was just feeling a bit old but this this final season they are really superb it's interesting to hear that because i think that's where i kind of fell off the wagon like i i came into the show absolutely loved it and then i Felt like it was kind of getting a little bit sameish, and yeah. you know, it was a bit sort of there's always a way out, and so it's it's good to hear that they've they've finished strong because I think it started so strong, it should definitely finish strong. Oh, it really did. I was reading something else this week about how I was. It was about Squid Game, and it was talking about how um, it knocked off Bridgerton and it knocked off um, Money Heist as the most watched, and it, of course, yeah, Money Heist is massive. It's been watched so much, and. It's it's great that it finishes strong because it deserves it for the start that it had. Um, it's clever. It's 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 so um, you can't tell what's going to happen. So it keeps you sort of glued, and you you want to keep watching more and more episodes because you just as soon as a scene starts to unfold, something unexpectedly brilliant um, will alter the course between the robbers and the police. And and it's also got that great humour. And the police captain in this, he is absolutely fantastic. What's his name? I'm going to have to look this guy up because he, he he's so intense. I hope I don't sound racist saying what I'm about to say, but there is something about an angry middle-aged man <laughs> shouting in Spanish, marching around all over the place that is very satisfying his facial expressions uh, are fantastic he is a really a really good adversary for the um for la professor um fernando Cayo is his is the actor's name he's he's superb and he's probably a standout for me for this season it almost feels like the the key to netflix success is make a show using red jumpsuits <laughs> yeah. and uh You've got a winner. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. The the jumpsuits are quite iconic and very yes, real good call. Very similar to Squid Game. Um, I think because they, they split this final season into two parts, and I, I seem to recall saying to you when I did the first part that the 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 appeal of the show is it still there after so many seasons? And um, 
I think, as we heard in the mailbag recently, with this spin-off series in the works, that that appeal was going to be tested again. But I think on the success of this this final season, I feel like um, I feel like it's 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 going to be a hard one to resist. Whatever that spin-off ends up being, if if you like, you know, like you and I both like Lupin, or if you like Ocean's Eleven, or just any heist in general, I really would recommend this to someone in terms of. Uh, a season a series you'd enjoy and if you if you did drop out after the first two seasons come back for season five because it it ties together some things and and the other thing is and i think again we've said this before but with any show where it's your final season you know there's no guarantee who's coming out alive so so those big players the big characters you've got that added tension because you just never know who might get a bullet you just don't know indeed well it's interesting as well i think that you know you talked about a little bit earlier we've got our uh, top tv shows of the year podcast coming up soon and when you think about i guess money heist and squid games it's also awesome that two foreign language films yeah. are featuring you know potentially featuring high in our, our list it's going to be really tough to work out what those top 10 are going to be and it's a it oh it really is i've i've started compiling my list i've got it down even further now but keep adding in shows it's difficult right there's something about this language, which is wonderful to listen to, and I don't find it a chore to read the subtitles at all when they get very emotional or uh, animated. It, it is wonderful. I mean, the speed at which they talk is incredible. I, I really enjoy it. And uh, alongside Narcos, I, I think there's more and more Spanish language shows that I'm starting to sort of start to catch my eye, and that's great. Mm, awesome. Oh, that's good. That's uh, another great recommendation. So I presume we're watching this on Netflix, obviously. Yes, indeed. All five seasons, La Casa de Papel, on Netflix. AKA Money Heist, more AKA. commonly known over here. Yes, indeed, yes. Mm. Uh, that's about it for me, other than the things we've watched together, Dan. What about yourself? Okay, so uh, having watched season one of The Mandalorian last week, it was only right that I watched season two of The Mandalorian this week. Now, this is my first time re-watching season two. And I'll tell you, Paul, this is eight episodes of pure gold. And I watched it over two nights, so four episodes a night. It has no fat in it. I remember when we were sort of reviewing week by week, it's like, oh, was that a good episode? But watching the show back to back, absolutely incredible. I loved every moment of it. The Mandalorian and the Star Wars universe, I think is some of my favorite Star Wars right now since watching probably the animated um, shows. I just love everything about it. I love what they're doing. I love the characters. I love the callbacks, the the wider Star Wars universe. It's it's all just together in a perfect storm. And I'm really appreciating really different components of the show this time around. As I mentioned last week, still really enjoying Cara Dune's character. I feel like, you know, it's only actually, it's not till episode five that we actually got the Ahsoka episode. Absolutely incredible. It's not the um chapter 14 or episode 6 where we first actually reconnect with uh, Boba Fett and it's just there's so much goodness to be had in here Grogu's good I think my only um my only complaints about this was I think it goes back to the, the CGI of Luke and I actually thought it was actually even worse the second time around oh. and I I kind of wish actually that there's a first scene when when you first see his face and it's perfect and then I think they cut too often to him talking and when they do that you kind of see the 
um, the audio and the lip movement is a bit out of sync. Mm. And I wish they just gave us that look and then never showed it again. Like just you could have him talking. Yeah. Um, they have Mark Hamill obviously um, voicing the character, but I think that would have been enough. I think it's it really kind of takes you out of out of the out of the mood. But apart from that, Paul. Oh, it was so good. It was such a pleasurable rewatch. And I know that it's only kind of, you know, part of the, the Book of Boba Fett universe, which we're going to get into uh, in the new year. But it's it's got me so hyped for season three. It, it's such a good part of the Star Wars universe. I think something, I mean, I haven't done it myself, the rewatch, but I think one of the things that would be great is knowing what is to come. And so you can relax about that because one of the things i find watching this episode by episode is you're thinking what's coming next are we going to see boba fett are we you know who who's the jedi oh my goodness it's luke and all that you know and and knowing all that and just being able to actually appreciate it and relax um i think that it's it's like when you watch a a movie you love a second time around you can sort of watch the stuff in the background it's um and then watching it essentially in one go that this is the way that has to be the way I think you did right. It's like, you know, we've talked about this before when we've been to see new Star Wars movies that have come out. Like you're so hyped up in the movie just thinking about what the next scene's going to be, have, is there enough time left? And I think you're right, like watching this, it's aged so well. Um, and like it's been, uh, what, probably just under a year since I've seen um, season two. And so look, if it's, again, I, I feel like I'm sort of preaching to the converted, but this is a great rewatch over the the Christmas holiday period. You know, we're only talking 16 episodes. Some of those episodes are sort of 30-ish minutes, 40-ish minutes. So mm. it's a pretty easy one to get through. Um, and it's it's just so good. I've got a road trip coming up over Christmas. I'm wondering if this could be a nice a nice little easy watch at the end of the at the end of the day. I think it feels like it could be. I am um, just just hearing you talk about being in a movie and just wondering what the next scene is. I wish you could have seen me uh, in 2015 at the premiere for The Force Awakens. Going into that movie, I was all about Luke. You know, Han and Leia and everything's great, but Luke was the thing. And of course, as you well know, he shows up for like the final 30 seconds. Literally, there's 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 a whole two hours of movie with no Luke, and I'm just sitting there just almost just shaking on edge. And by the time I can feel like this movie's wrapping up, I keep checking my watch. It was I was I was so unable to take it all in because of this waiting. And so that is why rewatches for me often are far more enjoyable. And then, you know, you wait a few years and he throws the lightsaber away. (laughs) Let's not go there there today, Dan. Let's go there another day. Uh, And then the other thing I watched, I have seen the movie Dune. So this movie just came out uh, this year. Um, Obviously, the film adaption of Frank Herbert's very famous sci-fi novel. And I know there's been many, um, I guess, movies and TV shows and sort of attempts at sort of depicting this um, in live action. This is my, like, I, I haven't read the book. I haven't seen the other movies or TV shows. This is a long movie, Paul. This is two hours 35. And I'll tell you, I really enjoyed it. It's 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 quite different, but it's it's epic. It's got an epic soundtrack. It's got an epic cast. They've done a fantastic job at um, world building. It's kind of like it's kind of complex at the same time. Like there's a lot going on. There's a lot of sort of story elements and sort of history. They kind of sort of bring into life and 
different forms of I guess like magic and powers and and how everyone exists on this um, on these worlds but I had a, a really great time this however is one of those movies I kind of wish was a tv show like mm-hmm. I think there's so much to be said here and I know that I've seen this in other reviews this movie kind of just finishes like it's it doesn't have a clean like okay this is the end it kind of finishes and leaves you wanting more and I know that they're working on a a part two and potentially more parts but I just think this would have been a killer tv series they could have almost kind of fleshed out things a little bit more but still maintain the sort of the epicness of of it but I had a really good time with this one it sounds like a lot of people having a real good time like I've tried hard to avoid you know anything that would be spoilerific but of course you see stuff in the course of the day and it's all positive. I hadn't realized it was as long as that two hours, 35. That is, that is quite a watch. Um, I was curious as to whether it was, well, how it would compare to the original. I know there's been several, I always think of the, the 1984 version and whether it's a total remake or is it a, a different story within that universe or was it a reimagining? Um, does it make you want to go back and watch that original to sort of, no, 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 not at all. Okay. Um, I am. Um, I'm happy to stay in the the current version of it. Okay, it does um, spark a bit of interest in reading the book, however. Oh yeah, because I just feel like th- there's so much in there to to kind of be told. Um, but yeah, I don't know whether I'd need to see any more uh, movies or or video, or, you know, okay. TV show TV shows about this. But it, you know, even looking at the books, there's, there's like it's. I always sort of doing is like I, I thought it was a couple of books, but there's you know half a dozen books. There's kind of spin-off universes. It's quite a, a complex environment and an astonishing cast as well. Like I can't even fit onto one screen all of the profiles of all of the people that have have shown up in this movie. It looks astonishing. It's so good. Like uh, Timothy Chalamet amazing uh oscar isaac you've got jason momoa josh brolin dave batista it's it's honestly the cast alone makes this worth a watch and it's such a a visual feat like i think you know when they say that there's movies that are made to be watched in theaters like i Mm. think this is one of those movies and i think just the the soundtrack alone and the way it kind of like they've gone for the the epicness um warrants a, a movie theater watching if possible on the flip side due to the length you might have more personal enjoyment uh watching it in the comfort of your own home and of course the the director um whose surname i always butcher but i'm going to say dennis Villeneuve. i'm sure that's incorrect but his track record just looking at some of his recent movies like blade runner 2049 arrival um sicario uh, a lot of movies that we've really enjoyed and just just even those those first two sci-fi ones just feel like if if he's got that under his belt i imagine from a from a visuals point of view this is absolutely as you say a cinema watch yeah look definitely is and i think it's going to be one that i think i'm going to have to watch again when the second movie comes out because i think you're going to kind of want that recent knowledge you're going to want yeah. to sort of make sure you really understand the, the characters and the the lore of the of the land so I think if you, if you get a chance to go and see it at the theatre, highly recommended. Nice one. Oh, I'm glad you've I'm glad you've seen it because there's been a lot of press around it, so we can we can put a review up for it. So that's great. Indeed. And then the other thing that um, I guess we've both watched is uh, Yellowstone. So this is season four, episode seven, 
keep the wolves close. This is another top-notch episode of Yellowstone in a season that is getting stronger and stronger for me. And I don't know about you, Dan, but give or take what happened to Jamie, and we'll come to that, no doubt. But I felt like this was kind of a feel-good episode. It was kind of feel-good with what was going on with Casey, with 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 John and Rip, um, their stories. Um, I... Yeah, I just, I mean, there was so much, even the Lloyd story, which we'll talk about as well, I'm sure. There was just so much in this episode that I just thought was feel good. And I just felt like we just needed that. And at the same time, I'm very aware there's only one episode to go. And Yellowstone's not the sort of show to leave you on a feel good. So um, I feel like this is the can before the storm. I, it's interesting you say that. And because I I very much found this episode, like I really enjoyed it, another as you say, fantastic Yellowstone episode. Didn't feel like the penultimate episode of the season to me. No. Because like you, like normally they they start cranking it up. And I think for me it's sort of further reconfirmed for me that maybe season four is going to be a bit more chill because I don't think they can end on the cliffhanger that season three did. Um, and so I feel like season four is maybe the setting up the key pieces for seasons five and so on. Um, because you're right, like – I think a lot of good things happen, but nothing happened at the same time. Yeah, it's it's interesting because what you've just described kind of sums up how I feel about the Jimmy story at the moment. So Jimmy's story down in Texas continues to be amusing, but I'm wondering how, how are they going to ramp that up to be something significant? Otherwise, what's the point? You know, I feel like something's got to happen there. They are moving pieces along. Um, the just little scenes like the, the John and Rip conversation where he's asking him to come live in his house where they're actually asking him and I, I thought that was just beautifully written and beautifully acted by both of them I thought Rip looked he looked pretty torn from the point of view like he he was honored but also it's like it's a bit awkward to move in to the guy the guy's house who's basically been treating you like a son you're marrying his daughter and he's your boss and you've called him sir all your life there's so many elements yeah there. yeah there's a there's a lot of layers there. and i i think i really appreciate that scene even more because beth had told him you need to actually ask yeah. for it properly and he just couldn't do it like it was it was so awkward wasn't it like just seeing these like two highly efficient people um who could probably pretty much do anything they turn their minds to apart from have a open honest conversation, open, honest conversation with a uh, with a hint of emotion it's 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 too hard um just talking of Beth, Dan, I thought this was the the best Beth episode of the season. The Beth, uh, Beth, the Beth, Beth, the best Beth episode. Such a contrast to last week. I, what I was saying about her, the volume was dialed. I thought this one. I thought she was just great. I thought all of her scenes. She was, uh, she was manipulative. She she showed the other side of herself with the the kid. What's the kid's name? Kara, is it? Kara. Kara. Yep. Um, she showed her business brain and her ambition with John, and then of course. She, I mean, she was a total bitch with, with with Jamie at the end. The Jamie, the Jamie story is. Um, I can't put my finger on it with Jamie Dan. Like I, I want him to be okay, but I don't want him to be uh, at odds with John. I don't want him to be with that guy Randall, and I want Randall to come to justice. That's my number one priority for the show. He was the one who went against the Duddens. I need him to do that, but at Jamie's expense. It's tough, isn't it? Because. I kind of felt awkward in that scene because I didn't know how to feel. Like, I, like I'm like i not Team Jamie at all, but I felt just how horrible that situation was to kind of work your, you know, as much as you can or, or your 
you know, situation up to sort of think you're finally sort of earned earn this nomination for governor and have it kind of just like swept out from under you, realizing that you are nothing but sort of a, a puppet and a, a figurehead. Um, and it was just, it was so cruel the way it was done. It made me really feel for him as a character. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I said last week, I really liked Jamie as a character. And then when I see something like that happen, I just, I'm like, oh, I just don't like to see it. And I, like, what is it with Jamie? Tell me, wh- why does everyone hate Jamie? I mean, Beth has a legitimate reason, of course, from what happened uh, when they were younger. But what's everyone else's deal with Jamie? I think it's because he's a, he's a little bit spineless and he yeah. can't, like he's a little bit slimy. He doesn't really hold his own. Like I, I think I'm with you. Like I understand the his and Beth relationship, but I don't think he deserves the necessarily the hate that he's getting. And I think the the way that he's the way that he's been manipulated further kind of I guess um, demonstrates what a sort of a, a a weak character he is. Like, and not because of the acting or who he's. I think just like he's mm. so. He's so just trying to please, and that's all he's done all his life. And if he's pleasing someone, he kind of feels like he's he's been a good boy. Um, I'll tell you what I did think, though, in this episode, is I couldn't believe it when John said that he's going to have to run for governor. And I thought for a moment he was going to try and convince Beth that she would need to do it. And I just I was just thinking to myself, no amount of finishing school could polish <laughs> Beth up no. to run for governor. <laughs> that's right. No, and even seeing John do that, it's going to be – Quite an interesting run for governor, I think. Um, that whole story is going to mean he's going to have to do a lot more talking. And if there's one thing John doesn't like to do, it really, it is talk. So I think that's going to be quite interesting. And what about just this whole spiel around, if you, I'm anti-change. I'm yeah. anti-everything that people want Montana to be. And I just thought, like, what a classic kind of like, oh, it's, it's so just... It's it's so it's such great writing for this day and age because I think that is sort of the the world that we're in the people who are such strong advocates for change and we need to be different and then the people that are like I don't want to change I want to be I want I want the old ways and all of them come with different costs. I am the opposite of change. I am the wall that change smashes into. I mean, yeah, it's great. I yeah, it's but it is. I mean, I cannot believe we've only got one episode to go. It feels like we only just started this this season and it's just flying by. And um, can I just quickly touch on the the story about Lloyd as well? Because that scene where he went into that pawn shop, I was shaking my head looking at that whole scene and he, you know, he's looking at the gun and I was, th- I was thinking, I was feeling like, oh yeah, I called this. He, you know, he's either going to go crazy and take out um, Walker or he's just going to go and, and he's going to take himself out. And I'm like, I don't want that to happen. It was brilliantly written how they did that with the camera and then when he ended up coming into the bunkhouse and what he'd actually done I thought that was just really clever and it I mean I was just sold down the river so I was made of a real fall off with that scene I'm not convinced it's over Paul oh. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he did buy the gun and the guitar and I wonder whether he is just righting his wrongs before he takes himself to the train station oh see you and my wife are both got this mind that thinks a little bit above my level because she was thinking he's got he's also got the gun and he's going to take out rip and you're thinking he's also got the gun and he's going to take it to the train station so and i'm just thinking oh he's got the guitar everyone's happy again (laughs) i don't think he's going to take out uh walker i think he's um i think he's i think 
I don't know. I just feel like, you know, you talk about what's the season going to end with. I think the season ending with the death of the Cowboy could be quite traumatic and have quite big flow-on impacts to the ranch. Mm. And I think, you know, speaking of the ranch, good to see the girls got back in as well. Yeah, I really appreciated that scene where she showed her, her um, what do you call the the, 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 brand. the brand, thank you, and basically said, you know, does this mean nothing? And, of course, they honoured that. And it was kind of a little weak that she had to sort of remind them. But, of course, John was completely unaware. So, um, How good was that, though, that, like, John's so out of touch with the Cowboys yeah. that he's just like, when did this happen? And I, I think even things like that are good little writing cues that, like, you know, he is kind of, he is getting older and he's not in on the everyday operations. He's not a day-to-day manager. He's a strategic manager that sits that level above, right? It's the, it's the perfect manager position to be. Correct. Well, Paul, one more episode. Yeah, I have to admit, I could not tell you, Yeah, other than your just idea around it could be a tragic ending. I, I have no idea what they could possibly do in one episode. But at the same time, as much as you said that they, they won't have the dramatic, they have to have something. They, they can't just end it like a regular episode. That wouldn't be enough. So I think we will get something. And at this point, I'm delighted to say that I can't predict any of it. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Um, Samara's dad has been um, starting to watch Yellowstone and he, he's finding it really tough. Like it's too sadistic for him. Like he's finding it like there's yeah. too much violence, there's too much killing, there's too much. And he sent her a text in the weekend being like, I don't understand anyone who watches this show. So I can't wait to kind of um, go and grind his gears about it over Christmas. 100%. No, that would be a great conversation. Well, Paul, shall we transition on over to the movie of the week? Indeed. Our weekly feature movie of the week every week. We take it in turns, choose a movie, and then we review it seven days later on the podcast. We post in our Discord community what movie we're watching so that you can watch along with us. This week, Dan, we went with the brand new 2021 movie, The Little Things. So this is a movie about a Coon County Deputy Sheriff, Joe Deacon, who's sent to LA for what should have been a quick evidence-gathering assignment instead he becomes embroiled in the search for a serial killer who is terrorising the city. We've got a star-studded cast, Paul. We have got Denzel Washington. We've got Rami Malik. We've got Jared Leto. We've got Chris Bauer. Like this, this is this is a great um, direct to streaming movie. Oh, it really is. Any one of those three leads would warrant me considering having a look at a movie. Two of them, I'm probably definitely going to give a go, and then. All three, I'm really excited, and my expectations now are much, much higher with with those those three names. and And also, this is Denzel Washington's first movie in like three and a half years. He's it's weird when sort of actors take quite a significant break of time, and you may not notice it until you sort of see them again. Like, oh, that's right, I haven't seen them in a long time. I was also hyped because we had Rami as the Bond villain in No Time to Die, and you know, Jared Leto doesn't. He doesn't show up too often. And I think other than that sort of scene in Justice Zack Snyder's Justice League as the Joker, I don't think I've seen him since Blade Runner 2049. So I'm throwing it to you, Dan, but I thought that Jared Leto was my standout of those three. I thought he was exceptional. Um, and then I'll save my thoughts on the movie for now. I thought this was a, a fantastic movie that I think far exceeds the ratings that it's kind of getting around the place. 
I think it's kind of like a a classic old school cop serial killer movie. And I am completely with you. You know, like Denzel Washington, 100%. Rami, 100%. Jared Leto, I'm sometimes a bit weird about because I'm like, he's so method with his acting. Mm. He's, he's off, I often find him quite intense. But I thought he was the perfect serial killer in this movie. And I just love the chemistry between particularly Rami Malik and Jared Leto. Mm. Had such a, a fantastic connection. And I think Jared Leto did such a good job at playing this um, secondary character who felt slimy and kind of evil and I just my only critique probably of this movie a little bit long and 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 saying that I think this is it kind of did good things for the movie um but yeah I I really enjoyed this yeah Jared Leto you I know what you mean I can't put my finger on it but he terrifies me he has those like his eyes just always look glazed. They've got that dead look about them. Uh, and so put him opposite, especially as you said, um, opposite Rami Malek, who also has a very distinct look, right? The two of them going against each other, that was a, it was great. My critique of the movie, I don't think it was too long at all. My critique was, I thought it started so strong for like the first two thirds, three quarters. I thought the ending was a bit weak. I, there's still a lot to enjoy here. But um, I just felt like um, the, the the manner in which they wrapped up the story with with Jared's um, character was, yeah. I, I thought I thought because you know I've said how the last three movie of the weeks have been top tier. I thought oh we're in for another one. We're in for a fourth. But for me, this one died away in that final quarter. Not enough to put me off recommending. I definitely recommend it. But it probably just loses a little bit of edge for me in that in the way it wrapped up and the. Like, I just wanted a bit more out of Jared in that last 10 minutes. It's interesting, right? Because this is in a movie that gives you a finite conclusion. Mm. And it kind of leaves, like, the ending's kind of left up to your interpretation. Mm. And sometimes that can be really good because you're like, oh, great. I kind of, you know, can put the pieces together and kind of tell my own story. Other times it can be a bit frustrating. It's the Tony Soprano spoiler everything fades to black like what is the ending that you know you you wanted most for tony and i think what was kind of interesting about the way they did this ending is denzel washington's character was clearly just trying to give some peace uh, to remy malik's character and it, it leaves the whole thing around whether jared leto is actually the killer or not completely up in the air Correct. and almost kind of implies he probably wasn't in my view yeah it's, it's so interesting you say it because when you were describing him before you said i thought Jared Leto was a perfect choice to play a serial killer. And so I took that to mean in my mind that you had determined that that he was as part of your interpretation of the story. And, and that is what my interpretation is. Um, I, yeah, I just love the humour that he was bouncing around things. He was having a lot of fun with it. I I thought that first three scenes, the first sort of, the first, yeah, the first two thirds of the movie, I just thought it was so clever. As you said, it had that classic police cop drama tv serial that it's, it's a movie that always appeals to me this this style of movie i um yeah I, there was a lot of tension there was a lot of clever little plot points um and and right off, right from the off you know it's terrifying with this girl and the car being oh, harassed yeah. and intimidating by a guy in a car in the middle of nowhere at like one o'clock in the morning it's instantly got you on edge and the story is very good at 
telling you something's going on without actually telling you what's going on in terms of the history of what's happened with Denzel Washington's character in the past. And so, um, yeah, it's um, beautifully shot. The color palette, you know, how it's sort of muted colors and very sort of dark and I don't know what the, the word is, but just something that just blends. Almost sort of no- noir type sort yeah. of vibe, isn't it? And I think, you know, it's what would you sort of say set in the, the 90s? Yeah, that we were talking about that the whole time because like, it starts off in 1990 and, and then it sort of goes forward a bit. But I think it was always in the early 90s, I'd say maximum mm. 95. There was no cell phones going on. The pages were big and the the, the type of vehicles and, and so on. It was, yeah, I think I think you're right. It was, um, and who else? Oh, you mentioned Chris Barra as well, another good actor. A shout out to him. I've enjoyed watching him recently as, as Deke in For All Mankind. I really enjoyed him in that show. And I thought he was fantastic in this this movie as well and um my other little criticism was so rami malik his character i thought he started off brilliantly i thought he was he, he was strong he was confident he was authoritative he was he really was taking charge and he looked to be the main man and then halfway through i thought he yeah, it was before anything massive happened but he became uncertain of himself or he was malleable and I wouldn't say weak, but he just lost some of that at the start. He was like, oh, this guy, he's the real deal. Yeah, no, I agree. I think he had, he had some real, like, top dog energy. And I, it's almost like he kind of bowed down to Denzel Washington's character. Yeah, yes. and And kind of took the steer. Um, I think, you know, while we're kind of nitpicking at things, I actually, I didn't like how kind of blacklisted uh, Denzel Washington's character was. Like, you know, he basically yeah. sounds like he had a – a heart, like a, maybe a heart attack and you know there was a an unfortunate incident but it, it, he just seemed to be like black like blacklisted by the department um for without going sort of too deep into all of it all but for what seemed to be you know you're a detective you're working hard cases you, he kind of burnt out but like he was being heavily kind of like punished and penalized for mm. you know in the scheme of things didn't seem to be that bad yeah no i agree and so that that just builds my empathy for the character even more and i want him to succeed even more and then uh, that even makes me feel like what what he did you know with the the hairband thing whatever i sort of feel like oh yeah that's justified because i feel like i trust him and part of that this is a bit weird but part of that is because i'll Denzel Washington's such a nice, likable guy. He has to be right. It's yeah, that sort yeah. of sort of the lines get a bit blurred there. It's um, yeah, extraordinary performances from everyone. Um, and despite what I've sort of given in terms of criticisms, I would one hundred percent be recommending this to to people to go watch. I think so too, eh? Because it's kind of like it's an old school police show, like where you solve crimes by digging through the crime zone using your own smarts. Um, you know, it's it's so different from a, a current day uh, police movie or series or whatever it may be. So, highly recommended. I'd, you know what, Paul? I'd, I'd give this all the guns. I'd give it four guns. I'll go three guns. Three guns for me. But um, there's there's a lot about this movie that would make me consider a rewatch. Hmm. So um, so yeah. So if you're in New Zealand and want to watch that one, this one's available on Neon. Very good stuff. Oh, well, Paul, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Let's go down. What is going on? 
So, first of all, um, we've had someone pass away, so Anne Rice, who's most famously probably known for Interview with a Vampire, which first was a, a book, but obviously a, a movie as well, has passed away. So condolences to her family. Um, we, oh, this is, this is a good one. Return of the Jedi and The Fellowship of the Ring have been added to the National Film Registry. Paul? Quite rightly so, right? The one thing that bothers me about this, oh come on! And, you know, I've said it before. When you start the fellowship, you start, you start, <laughs> you go, you go all the way. You don't just put one movie in there. You, I hope they're putting the whole set in there. Same with Star Wars. Like, what are they doing here? See, now I've again naively assumed that they're putting them in because the others are already in there. Because with respect, and again, we haven't got time to talk about it now, but with respect to Return of the Jedi, that is not perhaps the strongest of the three original trilogy movies. So I'm I'm presuming the other two are already in there. You, you, you're probably right. And if we'd done some research, we'd probably <laughs> try to verify that, but that feels way too hard. This, yes. is, the, this is the surface level news desk. Correct. Uh, the Walking Dead creators um, from Skybound are in talks to take over G.I. Joe and the Transformers comic, which I think is pretty interesting. I think obviously they've done a fantastic job with The Walking Dead. Uh, that's been a fantastic series. Uh, and I, I would love to see what they do with G.I. Joe and Transformers. So no doubt we'll hear more about that soon. Uh, there is a Zorro TV series in development um, at Disney. Are you a Zorro fan at all? I enjoyed Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins. I enjoyed those movies for a bit of fun. I, I would be interested. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see what they do. Um, I'm expect we'll hear more in the the coming months around what happens there. Uh, Servant on Apple TV has been reviewed for a fourth and final season. So I've only seen the first season of Servant, and I, I really enjoyed it. So um, interested to see where they're going to go with this one. But great stuff that they've got a fourth season. Uh, it looks like the latest Marvel movie, uh, The Eternals, is coming to Disney Plus in January. So just in time to catch up on all your, your latest Marvel movies. And then this is just a, a PSA, uh, a friendly reminder that there's a few good things coming out on Netflix in the very near future. So by the time this podcast goes live, uh, that is the night that we get The Witcher Season 2. And we've also got Cobra Kai um, Season 4 coming out oh, yeah. very, very soon. I keep forgetting. End of December. I keep forgetting about Season 4. I keep thinking. I think it's because in my mind I've decided I'll, I'll probably watch that early next year and so i'm thinking it's coming out but it's not it's out now what's that it's the first it's the perfect uh new year's viewing wow and that is me on the news desk this week anything on your end uh well i also have some sad news to to start my pieces that i've got here fast and the furious 10 uh release date has been has been pushed back and now it will not open uh in spring 2023 um which obviously is a Disappointing piece of news for fans of that franchise, Dan. This is devastating news, but you know what? Respect the family. Family, take all the time you need. Correct, correct. Uh, the Batwoman team are developing a Gotham Knights series, uh, uh, which is really interesting because I haven't even watched the Batwoman series, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Gotham Knights just sounds like a really cool TV show that I probably want to get amongst um So that's quite interesting. And what else did I have? Oh, the I haven't watched it, but again, I'm, I'm trying real hard these days to not watch trailers. You know, I'm trying to get on board with 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 you and with 
Mike and other people that we've talked about that do this. But the Fantastic Beasts third movie trailer has come out uh, this week. And again, reviews generally seem to be quite uh, quite positive for that one. I'll tell you, Paul, I've seen none of the Fantastic Beasts movies. I find that extraordinary as someone who is, I would say, a, a pretty big Harry Potter fan, right? I enjoy, I enjoy the Potterverse. The Potterverse, even by calling that you... You're clearly probably a bigger fan than I. Um, what's the I what's did, the reason? Then? So, look, I, you know this. You know, for OG listeners of the podcast, I think I tried to watch the first movie on a plane, which is where I used to watch most of my movies. <laughs> Correct. And I just couldn't get into it. And I'm wondering whether it was was I too fresh off a off a Harry Potter rewatch, and I just couldn't get the different vibe. But I'm wondering, like this, I haven't seen the trailer for this latest movie, but. It's got enough kind of just from the the title card I see floating around that I I probably need to be watching it. So maybe I better get these movies on my my backlog. Yeah, I I've watched them and I have to admit, when you come in off the strength of the the Harry Potter movies, they I'll be honest, they don't have that same grandeur. But I would imagine if you were to watch them as a trilogy, I reckon that could be quite good. So if you've waited waited this long, I would say maybe wait till this third one drops and, and see all three in one go. But yeah, that is it. I'll do that. Uh, that's all I've got on my end. So for the mailbag this week, Dan, um, Ash from Pamson North was uh, interested in your review of the season one of Mandalorian. Um, and he commented, he believes in years to come, season one of the Mandalorian will be considered an iconic touchstone a yardstick for all other science fiction season one to be compared against i think that's a a big call but i think it's ultimately a fair call because as you've just heard me raving about this last weekend this week it's it's so good and you know we talked about this when i think we did our first review of the mandalorian to even fathom a tv show in the star wars universe is beyond my wildest imagination Mike, also from Pamson North, got in touch. Uh, he's been listening along to the episodes and getting into the spirit of James Bond, having watched No Time to Die. He's decided to go and do a bit of a mini rewatch with with uh, his family as well. They're doing the Daniel Craig rewatch first. Um, so far, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. So he's stopped a few of our podcasts midway through so that he can come back and enjoy the reviews. And then I've put the question to him, will you go back and watch the original? He's considering it. So I love it when we can inspire people to have a bit of a rewatch. It's tough, isn't it, Paul? Because unless you're like Paul Canauer and own, actually have your own archive system for having all the, the Blu-rays, they're, they're not always the easiest to track down. Correct. They are not the easiest to track down. And it's a mystery to me as to why they're not on some streaming service somewhere someone could be making some money out of that they'll probably come on paramount plus i imagine soon um what else have we got here uh, last week's peak performance dan uh helen mirren uh, we had one two three four people come through ryan uh from oakland uh i've written down auckland but that can't be right because he's from the united states oakland uh he went with the red movies uh that she was in michael from north carolina usa he gave us a 3-2-1, Excalibur, Teaching Mrs. Tingle and the Queen. 
Peter from Germany also went with Excalibur, and Paddy gave us his 3-2-1 of Red, Monsters University, and Excalibur. I have not seen Excalibur, and yet three out of the four people this week have all gone with Excalibur. I feel now that it's that's that's isn't that the rule? If we get three, it's a mandatory watch. Thing. Yeah. I'll tell you what's also kind of thrown me off is I feel like me and Patty are normally always kind of in sync, like mm. you know, with this three, two, one, like maybe buy one movie. Um, but we we're nowhere near in sync. Indeed, he's uh, he's gone off the rails. We need to try and him back in but that's the mailbag this week very good shall we head on over to our peak performance much like our movie of the week paul and i take turns choosing actors actresses directors producers and discuss what we think are their peak performances this week paul we are taking a look at ray liotta ray liotta um he is an actor that I enjoy in in so much. Whenever I see his name in anything, there's always something he brings to a movie. And it's weird because I don't necessarily consider him to be an A-list actor. He's sort of always like in a supporting role, generally. Um, but he's always so enjoyable. I really struggled with this, as we often do. But I've, I've got my honourable mention and I've got my peak performance. The honourable mention for me is 2001's Hannibal as Paul Krendler. And I just love the way he played this character because I'm a little bit obsessed about the the Hannibal universe and the way he played Krendler is so despicable. And he's, the way he talks to Clarice with, with the disrespect, he, he, he plays it so well that by the time, um, you know, spoiler alert, by the time Hannibal cuts open his skull at the end of the movie, you're almost convinced that Lecter is justified, which sounds crazy saying it loud, but he's he's just so dislikable. And it's I think it just resonated with me because we just watched recently Clarice and we saw Michael Cudlitz play Krenler and it was such a different take. And this version that Leota plays in this movie really works well. Um, and I thought he was perfectly cast for that role. But the peak performance, 1990, Goodfellas. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. The opening line from Leona. This this is a, a Scorsese gangster movie starring um, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. And yet when I think of this movie, I always think of Ray Liotta first and foremost. And I think that is the biggest compliment I could possibly give anyone really just to sort of say you're alongside you know a Scorsese movie with those two and yet I think of you he is so good in this he is um for me that was the first time I saw him he came out of nowhere for me and that was the first time I ever sort of remember seeing him and um it's uh yeah it's he holds his own up against those two actors no questions asked and um and of course he's he's in that really memorable scene with Joe Pesci where he he dares to say to him, you're a funny guy. And Pesci then starts questioning as to exactly why he's funny. I, I, I love this movie. As always happens whenever we talk about these movies, I just instantly start thinking, oh, I wonder where this is streaming. Where can I watch this? Because I haven't watched this in a long time. So Hannibal, Goodfellas. Great shouts, Paul. Now, yeah, this was, this was tough. And I feel like there's a movie that would have been in my list had I seen it. But I, I it's not as far as I'm aware, out anywhere we can watch it at the moment is 
the mini saints of new yeah. probably would have been a, a real top contender yeah. for me but haven't seen it so um can't comment so my um runner-up i'm actually gonna go with uh 2007's b movie and so i don't know if you remember this <laughs> yeah, this is a, a pretty uh niche scene where ray liotta plays ray liotta um in the movie and he's basically getting harassed by um jerry seinfeld's b character for basically being Ray Liotta and getting kind of triggered and fired up and he gets fired up and then the scene and I just think it's I love it when actors and actresses get to kind of make fun of themselves and they kind of accept who they are as often as characters and I thought it, it deserved a, a bit of a shout as an honourable mention. He looks so good as well the way they animated his face in that movie I know it's quite old now but he just looked superb I remember that scene. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and then, much like you, I always wanted to be a gangster as well, Paul. I couldn't go past Goodfellas. Um, this is probably the one Martin Scorsese movie that I've seen the most in my life. Mm. I've just seen this movie hundreds of times. I never get sick of it. I love all the scenes in it. I love – there's just so many classic quotes in there, and I think you're right. Like, to go alongside Robert De Niro and Joe Pesky is – you know, that would be a terrifying experience. And I think he, he is this movie. Like, you think Goodfellas, you think Ray Liotta. You really do. He's, he's, he, he holds his own. And, and it's like when things get out of hand in this movie, he's sort of just, he sort of holds, he sort of keeps his cool. And he's kind of the good guy in this movie, but then he also does some bad things. It's, it is an extraordinary performance. I'm really interested when you said about the many saints of Newark, because I'd love to, to know, I can't wait till you and I get to watch and review that, but I'd love to know if that forces its way into the, into that, because yeah. that, that's a, that's a, that's a big role and a, a, a big movie. Well, you know, and a lot of this stuff is obviously, you know, Sopranos draws lots of inspiration from, from movies like this. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tried to start a Sopranos rewatch in this house that didn't really didn't really stick, but I I still hold a such a strong candle and such a strong flame for for wanting to go back and watch Sopranos and then go and watch Many Saints of Newark. So, hopefully, I can make that ha- make that happen. It might be a solo mission, but I think it will be worth it. And I, I just don't think they make movies like Goodfellas anymore. Mm. Like obviously, Martin Scorsese absolute legend uh, but i i can't even think of a movie that is up there with goodfellas in the last few years the irishman i i just don't know is it is it up there with goodfellas it is what it is it's what it is all right all right well we'll see well well that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the half measures podcast indeed it does thank you once again for listening in to this week's episode do get in touch with us, whether you've got a movie of the week suggestion or someone you'd like us to do a peak performance on or comment about something we've said or something we've reviewed. Um, get in touch at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Indeed. A very special shout out to our Patreon producers who help us uh, bring the show to life. Uh, we couldn't do, with, do it without you. Thank you very much, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tevner. If you too would like to become a Patreon of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.